You're listening to a Sunday sermon from Seven Mile Road Church in Melrose, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. To check out more about us, go to sevenmilemelrose.com. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Tim. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to have the chance to uh, continue on in our, our journey through Luke and uh, get a sense from this. What we, what we do in this time is we, we open up God's Word and we sit still. We let God's Word sit over us. We look to receive what it says for us with our minds and our ears open. We, we slow down. We stop in a world where there's many distractions and many things talking to us. And we try to zero in on what God has given to us through the preached Word. So this is one man sinner standing in front of you trying to explain and help you see what's happening through God's word. But really you're hearing the words of God through his spirit speaking through this so that you can grasp what God has for you today. So we're going to ask that God does that work and that we're attuned and aware of what God can do through his word at this time. So let's pray. God, I ask that you would give us quietness and focus that you would bring our hearts and our minds into attention to your word. God, I pray that we would put ourselves under this, that we would submit our own feelings and desires and wishes to see what your word says. God, that its authority, its meaning and relevance would be clear, that as I attempt to explain and walk through it, God, that your words would be heard more clearly, that your spirit would work through us more powerfully. God, we ask for this work in these few minutes together in your name. Amen. All right, so as we jump back into this text and we, we think about what's the main focus here, we, we call this a story about a blind man who's, who's being healed. So it's blind and, and we're needing mercy. So I try to think about how to relate this to us in some ways. And so I, I think about ways in which we are sort of metaphorically blind, right? Not, not the literal blindness here. But when you think about metaphorical uh, blindness, we are sometimes blind on who we love right? We have this misunderstanding at times, or we find someone that we care for and we love, and we don't see all the faults, right? When you're really infatuated early on, you don't even see all the the trouble that could be down the line for you. You jump head in. Sometimes there's our own faults, right? Ways that we miss the ways that we actually are lazy, or the ways that we're a little uh, passive-aggressive, or our own tendencies that rub people the wrong way. We, we don't even see them. We, we're nice people. What, well, who would ever doubt that, right? Or how about the mess in your home? Who has that spot in your home that if somebody was coming over, you might think about cleaning up, or the reality is, is you don't even know that there's a mess there in the corner. Uh, it's just there. It's some table. It's out of the way. It's maybe not something you directly look at. It's just this box or a, a, a little basket and things are just shoved in it or a corner that nobody seems to check and you don't even think twice about that little mess that sits over there. It's, it's out of sight. You're kind of blind to it. Well, I also think about a malady that plagues us that's a little bit of a mixed metaphor uh, and we call it nose blindness or nose blind. You, you know this? This plagues 100% of humanity. So we've got we to think about this, okay? So you're all nose blind in one way or the other. And the important source document of Wikipedia defines this as unable to detect particular odors and smells usually due to familiarity or prolonged exposure to them. So think about that. You don't smell everything that's around you or near you. You don't really probably smell yourself too accurately, right? How about your home? Have you, have you go to people's homes and you know they have like a scent? I'm not even saying a bad one. They just kind of have this distinct 
smell in their home. And have you ever stopped to wonder, what does my home smell like? Like, what is everybody thinking when they come in there? Because you can't tell. You come home every day, and there's home. Uh, different places have different smells. Maybe where you go to work. Maybe at school it smells a certain way. Uh, locker rooms smell a distinct way um, as, as you come on that as an athlete. As you think about those smells, you're not always cognizant of what's happening. You're kind of blind to it. You don't smell your own perfume or cologne often, right? Don't keep spraying till you can smell yourself, okay? That's just a, a pro tip. But these things that you get used to tend to continue to be missed by us. We're not catching the smells that are around us. And so this nose blindness can come out in, in times when there's something that should be dealt with, right? Whether it's that thing in the back of the fridge that you wanted to forget about, whether it's the, the sports equipment, hockey gear, football gear, soccer socks are really nasty. You think about all those things and you don't even notice them in the back of your car. You don't even notice that smell that's just permeating everything because you're blind to what's there. When we look at our story, we can use that as a, as a way for us to approach the story here, okay? That's not blindness that this man, was suffering from, was, this man was suffering from in any way, but it helps us get an inkling to understand what it's like for us. Where are we not seeing the true nature, the true situation, because of our own familiarity, because of our own exposure, that we're missing it? So as we jump into this text today, I want you to have that as a backdrop to think about your own blindness in those kind of areas that might be humorous or trivial from time to time and realize that there's even a deeper blindness that we all have that we need to work through with our sin. So in today's passage, we're going to see that the big idea from this text is that Jesus's mercy corrects the blindness of our sin. It's his mercy that can eradicate our blindness, correct it, so we can deal with the sin in our own lives. So as we walk through this, we're going to see that there's three developments in correcting the blindness of our sin. The reason I call them developments is they're not really things you can per se do. They're things that God does in you, things that God brings about in our own lives so they can come about. And as this development starts to happen, you then are able to see Jesus' mercy and have your blindness to sin corrected. So as we jump into the text we just read there, uh, in chapter 18, starting at verse 35, we get a story that's given to us of this development. Okay, Jesus is on this journey. He's been going for a little ways uh, through Israel, and he's, he's bringing this journey to a close. He's been kind of traveling, albeit not a straight line, kind of from north to south. He's traveling down, coming to Jerusalem. And where we're going to be over the next few weeks and months is going to be really focused on the events that are happening in Jerusalem very, very soon. And as we get to that development, we're told in this story, in verse 35, that Jesus was drawing near to Jericho. Now, Jericho is, is a small town, a little outside of Jerusalem, about 18 miles away, so it's within a day's journey of Jerusalem. It's a little bit to the, the northeast of it. And where Jericho was located, it was an essential area for travel. On the east side of the Jordan, you have a major highway, the King's Highway, that went on that side, an ancient road where there was lots of travel going from all kinds of spots, the Silk Road, out to India and China, and they would come around to the King's Highway. On the west side, I think I got my motions messed up, but anyways, on the west side uh, of the Jordan River, uh, you would have other key roads, the, the road to the sea that went down to Egypt, and the trunk road that went north up to Turkey. And in between those areas, right next to the Jordan River, about eight miles away, was Jericho. So you can imagine there's all this travel going up and down these highways, north to south, north to south, and they have to cross kind of near to the Jordan River. And as they came across that particular area, they would come to the city of Jericho, one of the reasons it's been one of the longest existing cities in the history of the world. 
And when you think about Jericho and what's happening there, there are these caravans, right? You can imagine it. You've seen the movies. There's camels and animals and people walking back and forth. Caravans and people and trades trying to get to different places. Most of these folks would have money. They'd have their gear that they're looking to sell in one location or another, or the new stuff they've required, and they'd be passing by. And as they do that, they come across this road near Jericho, and Jesus is on that road. And Jesus sees a beggar who's located himself Oddly enough, or, or clearly enough, in, in probably one of the prime locations. All right? You have people walking by all the time, lots of foot traffic, and people who are either selling something or have bought something and have probably some more disposable income at that moment that might be generous to you if you were looking to beg as this blind man was. So as he's there in this location, he's, he's in the right spot. And he's probably been there some time. So uh, this, this guy is there, and he's waiting for the crowds to come by so that he can beg from them to give him Uh, something from their fare, so he can continue to be sustained. Now, we know from a parallel account in the book of Mark that this beggar's name was Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is not an everyday term that we're going to use, so I'm going to call him Bart for short. We can work with that? All right, so let's talk a little bit about Bart. He's on the roadside, he's begging, and he relies on his senses, Right? If you're, you're not blind, your other senses, or if you are blind, your sen- other senses typically are, are very honed. He's used to what's happening. He's used to these crowds of caravan, and he hears something. He says, what's going on? Bart wonders exactly what, what is happening. This isn't the normal sound of the camels and the traders and the things that are going on. So Bart asks, he says, what, what's going on out here? And he gets a reply back that there is Jesus of Nazareth passing by. Now, Bart hears this, and he has an immediate response to it. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But, you know, think about that. He's told of an individual coming, and Bart immediately thinks, this is significant, someone, someone I have to, to have a reaction to. I, I want something from this individual. I think about our own reactions to people that we could meet. And you wonder about Bart's reaction, you compare them, right? If you, if you had a chance to meet Taylor Swift or Tom Brady or Elon Musk, you might immediately have a response, something you'd like to say, something you'd like to get across to this person. Uh, or just like to shake their hand, take a selfie, and move on, right? Any of those options. Yet Bart has this encounter with Jesus of Nazareth, and he's ready for this moment. He knows how he wants to respond to this individual. So we go into our, our text a little bit closer, and we see that in verse 37, uh, as he's told that Jesus is passing by, immediately in verse 38, he begins to cry out. He cries out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he knows who Jesus is, he's heard about him, and his response follows, asking for what he needs. So what's interesting here is is kind of the first point that we get from our text here, that the way that this development happens to us, the way that we can have our own blindness removed by the mercy of Jesus, is we have to know our condition, or be knowing of our own condition. As we look at this in verses 37 through 39, we're, we're seeing in the text, in the story about this guy Bart, we see that actually he's completely aware of his blindness. You know, he's not surprised by it. He understands where he's at. He understands he needs, he's in need. He's forced to beg for his sustenance. He requires the generosity and mercy of others in order to live. He, he's got no misunderstanding of where he's at in this scenario. The challenge for all of us, other than Bart, is that in our lives we're often unaware or intent on denying the reality of our condition in sin. Let me be the one to tell you, unfortunately, that it's probably worse than you've thought. Our condition in sin is so severe, so difficult, that we are utterly lost without the intervention of Jesus in our life. 
Give you a sense of just how bad things are. I have a text from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, that gives us a glimpse of our condition. We got it up on the screen here. In Romans 1, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. But his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him or worship God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, or we could say resemblances. So we can stop there in Romans 1. As it gives us some real visual language in this passage, I think it fits really well here as we think about what is true of us in our blind condition and continue to lean on that metaphor. That text tells us in Romans 1 that God's wrath can be seen, but that truth of what God's unhappy with, or we think of his wrath as his, his disposition towards sin. We think about that wrath of God, we, we don't see it. And the reason we don't often see it in our lives is because Paul says we suppress it. We hold it down. We try to remove that truth from being seen. And when we hold that down, the outcome of that is that what should be plain to see, he says, that God has actually shown us that plain to see stuff about God's nature, his attributes, who he is. These things are invisible, but they can still be clearly perceived. So that's why we try to hide them. We try to make sure that they can't be seen. And the outcome of that is that all of us, each one of us, is inexcusable, and we're under the wrath of God. That's the condition where all of us wake up. We woke up this morning in that place. Without Christ, all of us are guilty under God's wrath. Our sin towards God is failing to honor and worship him if we don't thank him for who he is. And we have this process. We actually have futile thinking, foolish, darkened hearts, thinking that we know better than God and that our condition is that isn't as bad as we thought it was. And we actually live in a way so that we exchange what God is and his greatness and we exchange it for other resemblances of good things and see them as better than God himself. So a pretty detailed description that Paul goes into that tells us the reality that all of humanity is in without Jesus. That's where we have to realize where we are. Like I said, you, you probably without Christ, you wouldn't know that that's where you woke up this morning. Maybe that's you here today. You just kind of came in for one of the first times and you're, you're catching this story and you're saying, that sounds pretty, pretty bad. That's, that's worse than I knew it was. That's what we see in the story. It's really a, a matter of blindness. It's an incurable situation that we're left in. But as Jesus steps into this man's life, we start to get a glimpse that there is a correction, a development, a way that this, this can be changed from the blindness that we know. As we think about the situation of these individuals, we're reminded that blindness is something that the Bible uses throughout to describe to us our condition without Jesus. In, in Acts chapter 2, actually, the Apostle Paul would describe his own condition. So he's a guy that wrote Romans. He writes in Acts to tell you kind of his own scenario of how his blindness was changed. He says, as I was on my way and drawing near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't understand it. 
and the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And Paul says, and since I couldn't see, that bright light had shined at him. He couldn't see because of that. I was led by the hand by those with me and came into Damascus. So Paul lived this metaphor out in a literal sense as well. He was, God got his attention by literally making him blind so he could see the blindness that was present from his own sin and his rejection of Jesus. As he brought that blindness in Paul's life, Paul has to have that in mind as he writes those words like in Romans 1 and thinking about the way that blindness plays into that. We go back to Luke and we think about this this guy Bard and his situation. His blindness is keeping him from so much in his life. He's left in that situation and that is a metaphor for how we stand in sin as well. If you've started to develop some awareness of your condition of blindness towards sin, maybe you're hearing this and you're you're thinking through that, then this is an exciting thing that God is bringing that about. He's developing in you the ability to hear of the miracle that he can work through that sin. So let's jump back into our text, hear what happens next. Bart, in Luke, is aware of his own blindness. He's calling out to Jesus, and he says in verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People around him tell him, cut it out, quiet down. And what does he do? He cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's, it's written twice there, so we can't miss it. He's actually stating this back. He's not going to be dissuaded. So as he knows his own condition, he then secondly recognizes the solution is there near him. That's why he has this reaction. That's why he's calling out. He won't be stopped from the other people. He's recognizing the solution that's in front of him. He cries out because he knows he needs the mercy of Jesus. He needs the mercy of Jesus. So it's one thing to know your problem, right? That's where we start. It's something else when you start to know what your solution is. We're on the hunt for solutions. This is why we're Googling WebMD all the time. You think, do do I have this? How do I solve that? You type these things in. Oh, maybe I have these six different things wrong with me. Which one is it? Um, What can I take? How do I fix it? The self-help books that we are drawn to. I know I have this problem. How do I fix it? How do I change this about myself? And think about the pooling of second opinions. You're told you can do this and it'll change that problem that you have. That didn't work. How can I ask someone else? How can I get another idea? Try someone else's recipe for success. So in all these things, we can see that once we know that there's this problem, there's this desire to find the solution. The smell in the the sport gear, once you become aware of it, you are out looking for every possible deodorizer and spray imaginable to deal with a smell that you've suddenly come aware of. So, as Bart did this, he knows two things about Jesus. As he makes us cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He has two things that he knows about Jesus. One, Jesus is the son of David. And two, that his character is one of mercy. So what does it mean that he knows Jesus as the son of David? In a couple months' time, we're going to spend a significant amount of time unpacking all that's behind this idea of the son of David and understanding uh, what's happening from that meaning. But the quick shorthand of it for today is that Bart knew that Jesus was the promised deliverer that everyone in Israel was waiting for. He's that one. He's the one they've been waiting for. He's the one that the Old Testament spoke about. He's the one that every Jewish person was praying for at Passover, that they're remembering in the feasts, that they're looking ahead for in the symbolism in the temple. They knew that one was coming, and they were looking for him, and he is saying, this is the guy. He evidently knew enough about Jesus, uh, what he said and he did, that Bart grasped that Jesus was sent by God to rescue people like him. 
So this is where that development starts to happen. As you know your own sinful condition, and you start to maybe hear something about Jesus, and you start to say, hey, there could be something here. Step into that. As you get to know who Jesus is, as you get to hear more about what his life was like, what his teachings are, you begin to understand that your eyes can be opened. As you will see, there's many things to understand about Jesus. We just talked about the Trinity this morning, right? There's, there's, there's deep truths to get your, your mind around. But as you start to grasp that, you come to the understanding that Jesus has come to rescue people like you, and you can trust him as the one who has taken your place. Jesus lived a perfect life and without any sin, and then he was able to die and give his life as a substitute for your penalty. He makes that way for us by our trust in him to receive his mercy. And it's that mercy that's the second thing that Bart is aware of. Jesus' character is one of mercy. It's this characteristic that's so startling in Bart's story. It comes up and, and it can be just as startling in our own story. See, Jesus would have every right to have no interest in Bart. He would have every reason to say, I'm too busy. I got bigger stuff to do than to spend time with this guy. Bart, Bart was in utter need. He's calling out. He's yelling to them. But why would Jesus stop? Why would Jesus have time for this individual? Why would Jesus care for someone in such a state? It's because of his mercy. Mercy is a word you may not have thought about before, but uh, trust it's what we all want. Mercy means Jesus knew the neediness of Bart, and yet he showed compassion and kindness toward him that wasn't deserved. Instead of that wrath of God from Romans 1 that would be absolutely justified, when Jesus steps in, that wrath can be stopped. Jesus steps in, taking the wrath instead, and, in, and puts compassion and kindness towards this man. And this is what's true for all of us. We have to know Jesus is a solution for our own problem. And we have to know that as we cry out to Jesus because he's God, he actually will show mercy to us. Now, it's hard to believe. That's maybe a hurdle to you. It might be hard to imagine maybe where you're at, where you've coming from, the things that you've done, that that could be true, and he has an offer for you. But here are these words from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We have a text that helps us see what we're doing in this recognition of who God is. This verse says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would come near to God, who would call out to him, who would seek him, must believe that God exists, and that God rewards those who seek him. There's an understanding of the existence of God and the character of God in this plea. So as Bart calls out and he understands who he is, he grasps that simple message of who, who Jesus is before him, and that's there. As we come in faith, understanding who God is and through Jesus, we have that offer to us that we can know who God is as existing and rewarding of us and where we are. So that's why I say as you see yourselves coming alive to awareness of your own sin, you move toward Jesus and know that he will reward you in that, in that action, in following him. So then in verse 40, Bart speaks, he has the attention of Jesus. Jesus uh, tells the crowd, basically, bring this guy over to me. Jesus asks Bart, what do you want him to do? Bart doesn't mince any words. He doesn't play around with it. He comes out and says plainly what he needs. Lord, let me recover my sight. And these words are the acknowledgement of faith that Bart had. And so in verses 42 and 43, we see this acknowledging belief or faith. See, this acknowledgement has some things behind it in the background. As Bart says, let me recover my sight, there's some stuff going on behind it in that acknowledgement. He sees Jesus as Lord, and he's powerful enough to heal him because he knows Jesus is the son of David, this deliverer that's been sent from God. 
Jesus hears this. He knows the acknowledgments in there are, are signs of faith. So in verse 42, Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. So Bart's physical blindness here is healed, but his underlying spiritual blindness is also cured. This healing pictures the presence of a deeper reality beyond the restoration of his sight. His faith has actually saved him. Light exists where darkness previously had resided. So this miraculous healing is actually the final healing that Jesus, in, in, the, in the, the time of Jesus' life. So when we think about his healing, he's, he's communicating something important. There's immediate sight restored at this man's faith. This type of faith has a knock-on effect that other people who see it start giving praise to God. They recognize that this is a movement of God and what's happening. So let's think about our own condition here, okay? So we typically, probably in our, our presence here, aren't suffering from blindness, literal physical blindness. But yet as we stand here today, many of us who haven't turned to Christ at this time or understood Jesus to be the solution for us may sit in a spiritual blindness of sorts, unable to see our own faults, unable to see the solution in front of us, perhaps even struggling with the real need for it. And as we see in this story, this story is recorded so you could grasp what Jesus can mean for you. So as we turn to this, this miracle is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this story is brought out as one of the final miracles of Jesus to make the point that Bart isn't just one story about one guy getting healed. Bart is a story of every disciple of Jesus. All of us have been blind. All of us were in need of Jesus to show mercy. And all of us who've received that mercy can testify to the change that God's mercy and grace has shown to us. So if that's where we're at, we have to ask ourselves, how do I apply this text? What does it mean for me? Okay, if this is essential, if you haven't been following Jesus, and I'm saying this is important for you, there's one, there's one layer there that you need to catch. But I'm also saying this story is true for everyone who is following Jesus. What's the intention of this gospel story? What do we need to receive from it to understand what's intended for us? So by way of application, three things to catch. Number one, blind is the metaphor for not yet believing. So if you're here today and you heard the story of Paul, you heard the story of Bart as examples for us in our situation, know and grasp that we are blind in need of Jesus' mercy. If you have now know your own neediness, maybe you recognize Jesus as a solution and are ready to acknowledge him in faith, go toward that. This is an invitation of God asking you to respond in faith to that truth. Know what's true of yourself in your own sin. Call out to God to receive his mercy and grace. And then speak with one of us. We'd love to help you walk through what that reality is together. There is a path there then to following Jesus. It's a remarkable comment in this text that after Bart is healed, what does he do? He follows Jesus. There's a continuing message there in his story of following him. But then secondly, this is the same model for us. If we've already received Christ, this is the same model of mercy that we need in order to continue to grow in holiness and humility. So if we've believed Jesus, we still wrestle with sin. It's hard to believe, but we're actually become nose blind to our own sins, right? We don't see our own sinfulness. We believe we're, we're pretty good. I've dealt with that sin. I'm not struggling here. I don't see that temptation. These things happen. Paul would tell us uh, in his letter to the Galatians that as you started in following Christ and understanding the Spirit had to work in you and change you, don't now turn and think that you can do it all on your own. You're now needing to still follow God, seeking his mercy to continue to see your life changed and transformed, saying no to sin 
and following Christ in righteousness. So that's still the process. So the story of, of blindness, being recognized to sin, knowing that Jesus can help you, and turning to Christ's mercy is really the same story that we do each and every week as a believer. It's what we do when we come together and we're reminded to confess, to hear the gospel. We turn again and remind ourselves Jesus and his mercy is who what changes us. So we remind ourselves of his power in our life and respond in that way, continuing to walk in obedience once again. It's, it's really the same process as how the story began for each of us. And then finally, how do we deal with the blindness of others? The response is really we need to be like Jesus. Think about it. When you deal with someone who doesn't yet know Christ, there are challenges and ways that it's hard to understand why they don't see it. You love them so much, you care for them to see the truth, they don't get it. You need to be merciful and compassionate as Jesus was, caring for them so that they will receive that. As we share time with one another in the context of, of church and life together, we see the sins of one another in close-up, uh, vivid ways. As we see that, what is our response? Mercy. We understand there's blindness. We understand there's challenges to see that sin. So we call them in mercy. Hey, you need to turn from that. You need to look back to Jesus. Hey, you need to get away from that thing that's holding you up. Let that be a mark of how we respond to our own blindness and the neediness of others. So we aren't being singled out in this text by any, any means, saying you're that blind man alone. We're actually hearing the story that that's true of all of us. Every person is in a state of blindness until Jesus steps in and shows them mercy. And then that same story or model of following Christ is essential for all disciples of Jesus, those who would continue to follow him, that they would respond, identifying their own problem there of, of sinfulness in their life, recognizing Jesus as a solution, and then responding in faith, admitting today that we will turn from that sin and follow Jesus. Let's pray.